Well, thank you so much, Jared. It's a great joy to be here. I'm going to miss events like this, you know. We've had 11 great years here in the Pittsburgh area. I've got to know so many of you over these years. It's a joy to be here. And if I do get an invitation to come back next year, I will probably very willingly take it. So <laughs> it's always a joy to get an invitation to go anywhere once. Special joy to get an invitation to come back a second time. It's always quite good to get your invitation for the third time before you've done the second one. So that's uh, enormously encouraging. Have a little bit of fun to start with. Came across these from one of my colleagues at Trinity, who obviously thought I needed a bit of brightening up one day. Stories about grandparents and their grandchildren. We will get to the text in a minute, so fear not. I haven't abandoned it. My young grandson called the other day to wish me happy birthday. He asked me how old I was, and I told him, I'm 62. He was quiet for a moment, and then he asked, did you start at one? (laughs) After putting her grandchildren to bed, the grandmother changed into her old slacks and a droopy blouse, proceeded to wash her hair. As she heard the children getting more and more rambunctious, her patience grew thin. At last, she threw a towel around her head, stormed into the room, putting them back to bed with stern warnings. As she left the room, she heard the little three-year-old say with a trembling voice, Who was that? (laughs) There's loads of these, actually. I'm just going to keep going for a while. Um, A grandmother was telling her little granddaughter what her own childhood was like. We used to skate outside on a pond. I had a swing made from a tyre. It hung from a tree in our front yard. We rode our pony. We picked wild raspberries in the woods. The little girl was wide-eyed taking this all in, and at last she said, I sure wish I'd gotten to know you sooner. (laughs) (laughs) One last one. When my grandson Billy and I entered our vacation cabin, we kept the lights off until we were inside to keep from attracting pesky insects. Still a few fireflies followed us in. Noticing them before I did, Billy whispered, It's no use, Grandpa. The mosquitoes are coming after us with flashlights. (laughs) (laughs) Cheer ourselves up on a Wednesday night. It is a great joy to be here. Many thanks to to Jared for the invitation. A great chance to engage this wonderful material from Ephesians chapter 6. The armour of God that God has given us to stand against the wiles of the evil one. So let's just again bow our heads in prayer. Really invite the spirit who inspired these words to come and speak through them here tonight. Father God, we, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. We thank you that you want to protect us from the wiles of the evil one. We pray that tonight, Lord, you would show us those things that we need to see, remind us of those things that we need to have brought back to mind, equip us to live the lives that you're calling us to live in this dark world, where the light of your gospel shine brightly here tonight. Equip us to live for you, Lord, that we may know your peace and your joy. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. One of the things we used to do quite frequently when I was growing up is go to vacation on a little island called Jersey, just off the north coast of France. So we'd just fly down from Southampton, where I grew up, Southampton right there on the centre of the south coast of England, and we'd fly down to the little island of Jersey. I had relations there, and we developed friendships there, so we did did that trip many times. 
So I got to know the island of Jersey quite well. And one of the striking things about that little island is that it was invaded by Nazi Germany in the Second World War. And there's still plenty of evidence of that time. There's an underground hospital built to treat German soldiers. But what was very striking as I began to get to know that island better through frequent visits is that the events of those years still lived very much in people's minds. Because there you were in the early 1940s, living in Jersey, with all the shortages that they experienced at those times, and you've got to decide what you're going to do with the Nazis. Are you going to accept that they've come to stay and make friends and get along, cooperate, collaborate, whatever the word might be? There were certainly many times in the Second World War when it looked like they were going to win. Or do you hold out and say, no, we're British and we're just not playing along and experience whatever that might lead to? Because even today, the inhabitants of that island know who chose which side. The children of the people who were then the adults and the grandchildren of the people who were then the adults, everyone knows whose side they were on, even now. There are times in our lives when we make big decisions that affect our whole future. And something we don't normally think about, and I may say, even as I was preparing for tonight's talk, I was reminded again why we don't think a lot about it, is there are demonic powers at work in the world. God made this world good. But it's been troubled from the earliest days by demonic powers. Voices even in the Garden of Eden contradicting the word of God. There is a devil and there are demons. And they are around us. And we hear that the devil is actually the prince of this world. So this good world that God has made has dark demonic powers in it. And the question is, do we collaborate and collude with them or do we not? In many ways, it's easier to go along with those temptations. Everyone does it, what's the big deal? And the devil really comes to us in a sinister-looking red jacket, big horns, fork. If he came to us like that, we might be on our guard. He comes to us as an angel of light. I'm on your side. You know those desires you have? There's nothing wrong with those. Of course you want more things. Of course you want to get on in life. Of course you want to have that kind of a family. Of course you want... And whatever it is, he's in favour of it. Very attractive. Very winsome. And yet what we're reminded of in this passage and in so many others is it's actually not the devil's world. He is an invader who's in fact already been defeated by this Jesus whose armour we're called upon to wear. He has no power over us if we are the people of God. And so the call that we hear today is like the call that went out to those people on the island of Jersey. Are you going to remain to the true identity that you already have? Or are you going to collude with these invading powers who sometimes seem very threatening, so perhaps it's better to play along, to get along, and sometimes seem so attractive? Why wouldn't you go along with them? And what we're being told of in this passage is that Jesus has given us the armour to stand and, in fact, to advance. I know you had the great John Rogers here last week. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have come. (laughs) Someone should have warned me about that. Anyway, I was, I was warned far too late and I'd already committed. 
But my particular task tonight is to come to this topic of the feet. Feet shod with the gospel of peace. We don't think a whole lot about feet. They're kind of hidden away. We wear shoes for a reason. But hands and feet, they're kind of not the heart of things. We think about the heart or the mind, the face maybe. Other things normally dominate our thinking. But today, our attention has been drawn to our feet. Talking about these things reminds me of a relation of mine who once dated a hand model. A hand model. I was at the time the rector of a rather tough inner city parish. Probably feeling a little bit sorry for myself that I discovered that my relation was actually dating a hand model. And I have to admit, a moment of temptation. I thought, you mean this man goes out and for a living he just does this? (laughs) And here I am slogging away in this inner city parish, (laughs) trying to make the thing go. Anyway, I've recovered from that. You've got to got to wear gloves, apparently, and protect your hands. There's a lot more to it. There are probably hand models here tonight. You'll be catching me on the way out. There are feet models too, I discovered. I am not one of those, and I n- neither shall I be one. Although, of course, as, as uh, the end of my time at Trinity comes ever closer, I may actually be applying for hand model and foot model jobs. <laughs> We're waiting to see what the Lord has in mind for us, so please join us in prayer. We know he's, we know he's calling us back to the Church of England. We just don't know quite where. Great adventure. We see where the Lord will take us. But we're focusing on the feet. And in order to understand why the feet are so important, we've got to do a little bit of background work first. And remember, we're standing in the face of an enemy. A powerful, formidable enemy. That's why I started with the story that I did. Verse 10. He's strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand. We're already talking about feet right there. So we can stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the enemy. We're not against flesh and blood. That's the next thing we find out. But against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. They're often hidden. They don't let themselves be known. But that is the reality that we're standing against. And so we're being called upon to stand against the devil and his satanic powers. Now, as I say, we don't talk a whole lot about the devil. But clearly, Jesus talked about the devil. Prayed that we would be protected from the devil in that famous high priestly prayer in John 17. He talked to the devil in his temptation. And he dealt with demons. In fact, one of the characteristics of his life and ministry was the number of demonic possessions he had to deal with. It's a sign of the the devil's awareness that this Jesus was a dangerous character from their standpoint. They put the demons out on full alert. And Jesus, time and again, he expelled the demons. They have no power over him. And you need to know that going in. When we start thinking about these demonic powers, we can be intimidated from them. And there is something about them which we are right to be afraid of. They are more powerful than we are. They're fallen angels. And angels are higher than humans in the hierarchy of God's creation. They're cleverer than we are. You do not win an argument with the devil. Jesus himself, when he was arguing with the devil, he actually quotes scripture back from Deuteronomy. So we need to properly realise that when we're talking about the devil and the demonic hosts, they're fallen angels, it seems Jesus talked about. He saw Satan fall from heaven. 
but they're angels and they're not gods. So what we're talking about here, the enemy or the enemies that we're dealing with under the leadership of, the, of Satan, they are more powerful than we are because they're on the angelic plane and we are mere humans. But none of them has any power over Jesus. I may get an amen for that. Amen. amen. None of them have any power over Jesus. And so the thing is, when we find ourselves doing battle with these evil powers, we are mistaken if we think we can win out on our own. We'll be right every time if we call on Jesus and see what he will do. I don't want to dwell on on these things because we don't want to glorify any of these demonic powers. But I will just tell one story. These things came home to me with such power back in the time when I was the rector of a church in, in, in London. And we got called upon to go and visit a particular home, one of the members of our parish, relatively new, coming into the faith. She lived in a small apartment just up the street from where we were. She said, look, can you come and say a prayer in our apartment? There's something in the, in the lounge, the living room. It's just not a, not a good room for us to use. Now, this is a very small apartment. She was there with two children. Not being able to use the lounge was a big deal. So we said, well, we'll go around. I took someone with me. And we deliberately went around praying, praying for the Spirit of God to fill this place, praying for anything demonic to be sent away. When we got to the lounge of the last room, a demonic power manifested in the person I took. She was able to name that demonic power. And when we named that power, we said, in the name of Jesus Christ, we send you out. At that moment, that power left. And that room was warm again. It was comfortable again. You could go settle in that room. It became available for that family to use. I don't want to spend lots of time on that. We don't want to, in any sense, glorify the devil. All I'm trying to say is, The power of the name of Jesus Christ is more powerful than these demonic powers. Amen. 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 I'm going to say it again. You need to know this deep down because we can get scared and avoid talking about these things. The power of the risen Jesus is more powerful than these demonic powers. So we are right in ourselves to be afraid of these things. But we need to remember that there is someone who's on our side who's more powerful than them. We're getting to the stage, our, our daughters are about the similar age, uh, I think it's the John's children, are now 18 and 15. But a few years ago, we used to enjoy watching these more youthful movies. And I remember watching the famous Lion King. One of our daughters had a great affection for the Lion King. And there's a wonderful moment when the little, uh, little cub, Simba, had got himself to the place he was not supposed to be. He kind of got onto the land of the demonic realm, if you like, where the elephants have their graveyard. There was a moment he was there, this little girlfriend, and they were being hounded by the hyenas. Some of you may have seen this image. And there they are, realising they are in big trouble. No way could these little lion cubs deal with the hyenas. And so the little Simba did his very best. He pushed together a really big roar. Roar! <laughs> and the hyenas were not remotely impressed. In fact, they laughed. But what else could the little lad do? So he roared again. And an enormous roar came out that terrified the hyenas and off they went. Why? Because his father had showed up and was right behind him. (laughs) It was a real roar that time. And the hyenas knew they'd lost. 
That's how it works in the spiritual realm, dear friends. We make our, our prayer, and because we're invoking the great and holy and awesome, all-powerful name of Jesus, the devil and the demons have to go. You need to know that. So we need to take the devil seriously, but not to get ourselves distracted by him. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it helps us realize we can get into one of two states, either we're preoccupied with these things or we ignore them completely. C.S. Lewis. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, these devils, are equally pleased with both errors. They hail the materialist and the magician with the same delight. They can get on with their job freely if we don't believe they exist. And they can get on with their job freely if we're so terrified of them that we're paralysed with fear. So we need to realise that is the enemy that we're asked to stand before. That's the enemy before which, of course, Adam and Eve fell, which human beings fall and fall and fall. And I need to say right now, guess what, friends? We're going to fall. (laughs) But we're called to stand. We're going to fall, and the thing we need to remember then is we're called to stand back up again. Not to give up. Because one of the astonishing things about being a Christian is we're so associated now with this Jesus who has power over all the realms that we stand like little Simba the cub with this great lion of Judah behind us. Our little roar is added to by his vast and more powerful roar and no one can stand before him. So we are aware that these are real powers. John Stott describes them as powerful, wicked and cunning. But we find ourselves in this astonishing position of standing with Jesus. We're united with him by faith. And so when we find ourselves standing before these demonic schemes, we stand with him. Sometimes, as I say, the demonic powers, they intimidate us. And sometimes they woo us. There's a great quote from a chap called E.K. Simpson I wanted to share with you. I thought it was such an insightful thing. Think about your own temptations. Often it's around money or sex or power. Whatever it is, he gets us, he knows how to get hold of us. He says this, the tactics of both intimidation and insinuation alternate in Satan's plan of campaign. He plays both the bully and the beguiler. Force and fraud form his chief offensive against the camp of the saints, practiced by turns. Don't forget, he's the father of lies. Nothing consistent about what he does. He doesn't have to be consistent. He's the devil. It's not about trying to be good. It's about ruining and destroying and undermining the world that God has made. So that's the enemy we're up against. Not the flesh and the blood... Again, sometimes we get so angry with a person, we forget, you know what? They might be getting caught up in the devil's schemes. Pray for the person. Pray protection against whatever the devil may be doing. May the devil's schemes be frustrated. And may people be set free from his power. So we need to spend a little time thinking about that because only then can we understand the importance of the footwear on coming to the feet. So we're called upon in this text to stand against the devil, to take our stand. I still remember hearing a a children's talk at the church where I grew up. 
an incredibly gifted uh, speaker. He actually was a head teacher of a local school. And I still remember now him talking about this text. He described a sport that I thought even I could do. He said, you know what? This text is about the triple stand. Three times we're told to stand. In fact, maybe even four times. Here we are in verse 11. That you may take your stand against the schemes of the evil one. Or you go on to verse 13. Shoes for your feet, having on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And you'll see just before that, we're told that we are called upon to stand in verse 13 and 14. We're just called upon. To, so firstly, you may, be able to, you may be able to take your stand. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, being fastened with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So the first thing I want us to focus on before we think about the advance is simply to stand. I've never been myself in the army or any sort of military system, but whenever I see one of these movies and you finally get to the point where your army confronts the other army, I can certainly imagine the temptation, I'd like to go home, please. (laughs) Simply standing there as you see some enemy approaching, whether they're coming at you with tanks or with guns or whatever it is, we're called upon to stand. So I want to show at this point, there's a couple of uh, slides we've got on the PowerPoint. One just shows the soldier in his full armour. And they might be slightly harder to see at the back. Don't worry about the whole armour. You can just see the picture. Don't worry about all the words. It's the footwear that we're interested in. Okay, this is a Roman soldier in his full armour. That's what we're talking about tonight. The Caligiae, the soldier's boots or sandals. Notice their hobnailed boots. Look at what's underneath these little studs that take a grip in the ground. That's the point. That's what's holding us firm. That's the image here. It's the gospel of peace, the peace that God has given us in Jesus Christ. It means that we can stand with boots that won't slip. That peace of God, he passes all understanding. No one can take it from us. We've not got peace with God because of something we've done. We've got it as a gift. Jesus has won us peace with God. He's taken upon himself the sin of the world. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit, the spirit of peace. We have simply received these things as a gift. And you'd be glad to know there's nothing here about go home and make yourself a nice pair of sandals. He gives you the sandals. you just got to put them on. Well, most of us can do that. You put them on. God gives us the clothes that we need. But you notice, they've got grip. They're designed so you can stand. And they've also, you'll see, they've got um, connections that go up your your ankle to hold them in place so that you're not going to be twisting your ankle. They're designed to hold you firm. Just as you can imagine, the Roman soldier needed to be sure his footwear wouldn't give way in the face of the enemy. Could be to stand your ground. Because of course, when we find a challenge coming at us, we've got the famous options. Are we going to fight? Or will it be flight? Or are we just going to freeze? Let's think for a moment about those options, because they're right here in the text in different ways, I think. There's first, of course, the possibility of the freeze. We fall. I, I, I can't stand this. So maybe our heart kind of melts within us. We think, how are we going to cope with this situation? Remember that verse in Psalm 73 but as for me, my feet almost stumbled. And it's a very striking text, I think. I'm going to just briefly read to this 
just a couple of verses from Psalm 73, because it just gives us one of the examples of how we can lose our footing in the face of temptation. So here we have the worship leader saying this, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They're doing so well. They're not humble, they're arrogant. It's working out fine for them. Look how prosperous they are. He nearly stumbled. He thought, why am I making this stand? Why am I so concerned to worship Yahweh when the people who clearly have no time for Yahweh, they're doing great. He nearly caused him to stumble. And again, there may be people that we witness make you think, are we, are we, are we in the right place here? Are we going to better take our stand? Something that unsettles us. Maybe someone is living a very different lifestyle. Well, they're having a great time. And here I am really seeking to follow the Lord. I think they're doing better than I am on the worldly measures. But of course, as the psalmist goes on to say, you know what? These people, they fall in the end. As the story goes on, as that psalm unfolds, he realises that in the end, our own life is judged by Almighty God. But the call is here to say, you're going to see things in your life. We do see things in our life that are nervous and challenges. One of my particular jobs is that I teach um, Christian theology, systematic theology. So what I try to keep abreast of are the latest challenges. Sometimes I consider myself uh, the, the, the defence against the dark arts person. People keep sending in new challenges. Some new book making some new claim about the Christian faith or some new book coming out saying we can't trust this or we can't trust that. You can spend your life just dealing with all these things. We've got some wonderful Bible scholars at Trinity. They're going to spend the time saying, no, you don't have to worry about this because, and, you know, historians say you don't have to worry about that because. But if you don't have the privilege of being able to really, you know, check these things out, the lies that we constantly hear, they can sound awfully plausible. Maybe we can't trust the Bible. Maybe all religions do lead to God. Maybe God isn't so concerned about marriage and maybe really it is about getting as much as you can and maybe greed is good after all. You know, if we live in a world where these things are ever more popular, they can cause us to stumble. And what we've been told here is there's no need to stumble. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for the lies Take your stand in these wonderful boots that mean you can stand on the rock of Jesus Christ no matter what is going on. We can be secure in Jesus. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to freeze and fall. That wonderful text in James 4.3, which I think comes so readily here, resist the devil, just take your stand and stay there, and he will flee from you. You're with Jesus now. You may think he's intimidating. He's more intimidated by you if you're in Jesus Christ. You've got the big lion behind you. You're much scarier to him than he is to you, really. We've got to hold on to that. We've got to know that is the reality and not be deceived by our eyes. We live in a world that is so confident in our ability to work things out ourselves. We think we can understand things. We can think... Well, we can work it out. 
But in fact, you know, we need God to reveal the truth of how the world really is and how we're supposed to live. Give us the courage to stand. In a moment, we're going to be thinking about advancing with the gospel. And as I think about just taking your stand, I remember an amazing story about some missionary friends of ours, uh, Gavin and Des Campbell, who are in South Africa. And they did, do mission trips up into neighboring countries. And one time they were in their little car heading out on one of these mission trips. And they were on a very narrow road and high banks on either side. And as they were going along, they were suddenly confronted by an elephant who was about to charge them. And they wondered, what, what are we supposed to do? They, they couldn't drive forwards, obviously. There's an, there's an elephant in the way. And they couldn't drive back any faster than this elephant could run. And they couldn't go left or right. And so, in an unusual moment of inspiration, Gavin decided he was going to play a special particular piece of music. He was himself a bagpipe player. And he put on a recording of the massed bands of the bagpipers. And he put it on as loud as he could and opened the windows. And the, and the elephant ran away. The lion's voice comes in different versions. <laughs> he can communicate with the animals. But it's that wonderful sense that that is the power at our disposal. Don't be deceived by the deceiver. Don't accept the lies of the evil one. Enjoy the peace that Jesus died to bring you. Amen. amen. I've got another amen. That's a spontaneous amen. I very rarely get those. I must come here more often. <laughs> spontaneous Amen. But just to remember, the devil has no power over the children of God. We're not his children anymore. We don't work for him. We're not part of his kingdom. We can still fall for his temptation. We do every day, let's be honest. But we do not have to anymore. We're with Jesus. We're not with him. We're not with the invading forces now. We're with Jesus and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead and to establish his kingdom here on earth in all its glory, the kingdom of justice and peace. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great day when he comes. He's asking us to stand until then. Stand in the shoes he's given us, with all the other armour he's given us. He's given us everything we need. He just says, hey, just stand there. I'm coming back. Stand. Don't run away. Don't be so frightened that you make a run for it. Don't go into flight mode. The other thing you sometimes hear about in different countries where uh, suddenly the, the, the enemy soldiers are coming and they suddenly decide, you know what, we're going to lose. You must have heard this story. They take off their armour uniforms and they put on civilian clothes and they melt away. There's a temptation, I think, for us to do that. Take off our Christian clothes, just melt, melt back into the rest of the crowd. Hey, no problem. <laughs> I've... Got myself out of the problem. Now, I'm just simply mixing in with everybody else. But again, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to stand. Yes, to be recognised as a Christian. And I'm afraid at the moment, Christians are labelled with all sorts of negative labels. We haven't always done well communicating our message. Let's be honest about that. But we have good news for the world. Good news of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And for us to stand in that with confidence... And with love and with joy. We don't need to focus on the fear. But focus on the power of this Jesus. Who's given us feet that can stand firm. Because they are standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. With these wonderful boots. That will not slip. 
And then the final part of this, I think, is about this advancing with the Gospels. We go on to verse 15, our particular text for tonight. It's shoes or sandals for your feet. You can put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. There's a readiness to go forward with the Gospel of peace. It's not just standing, it's also going forwards. So not just either the freezing or the fleeing. There's a proper fighting. The ability to wrestle, the ability to go forward. To actually hear the call say, you know what? I've got Jesus with me. We're going to be okay. We're going to win this one. (laughs) Again, not go looking for trouble. To say, you know, if I'm asked to stand, Jesus says stand. He's telling us to stand right here. He's given us all the armor. We're protected from head to toe. We're completely in the person of Jesus Christ, to use some of the other language that Paul gives us. Hey, just stand. There's no need to go anywhere. We're on the winning side. I love that verse in Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Look at that. It's clearly our text again here. Who brings the good news of happiness. Hey, that's what we're bringing, folks, the good news of happiness. Not misery, uncertainty, lack of hope. Publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. He's the true God. Not these demonic powers. They're coming to an end. They're defeated powers already. Jesus defeated them on the cross. The hell has been created for the devil and the demons. They will meet their comeuppance. See, in the end, it's Jesus who who does the fighting. But he's caused us to stand and to go forward with the gospel. To proclaim this good news of peace and happiness. So again, it's a call to be engaged with his mission. So we probably don't often think about it like this. But when we're engaged, firstly in taking our stand, not simply, if you like, disappearing into the woodwork somewhere, but simply trying to stand in the grace of God, that itself is part of our witness. You know what? It's still true. <laughs> I still have peace of God that passes all understanding. I have a joy I cannot understand, apart from because God has given it to me. I love people I have no natural inclination to love. What is going on here? Well, Jesus is at work. That's what's going on here. So that in itself is itself a witness to a watching world. Our ability as a church not to kind of give up meeting together, not just to find other ways of spending our Sundays, other ways of spending our money and our time and our energies, but to say, you know what? Everything that Jesus has promised has come true. He's never let me down. He's taken me through those dark moments. My friends at my church, they've stood with me through thick and thin. Now it's not the time to melt away. Just to stand, firstly, that itself is a witness, but it's more than that. It's also going forward with the gospel. To so our very ongoing work, I know this church does so well, taking the gospel out into this community and around the world, that is itself part of our witness to a watching world. And that is part of the way in which the devil is himself defeated. Because we don't believe his lies. And because we do believe the truth of the gospel of peace. That we continue to live in it and take our stand. And we go forward with it to those who don't yet have it. Well, you can imagine how annoying that must be to the devil. Not only has he not brought us down, we're bringing others in. We're helping other people to stand up. And that's part of the witness. 
So I think one of the many reasons our gospel witness has to remain strong and clear, gracious and full of joy in this current situation, when we have a temptation to play it down a little bit, keep your head down, sure a more peaceful time is coming, we hear those temptations. No, we must continue to maintain our faithful witness because all that secular people need to constantly justify their own views is that the Christian church stops spreading the gospel. Because then they can legitimately say, you see, you guys don't believe it either. It's so important that not only do we live it in our own lives, we positively go out and commend it to the world that needs it so desperately. We're taking happiness to the world. What's not to like? We're taking a lasting joy. We're connecting people up with a purpose for their existence. We are showing them they can have forgiveness for the past, not just a constant accumulation of regrets. They can have a purpose in the present. Not just trying to make up their own stories, but to actually inhabit the purpose for which God created them. And they can have hope for the future. See, hope is in such rare supply these days. There's nothing about evolutionary theory on its own that makes you think it's going to be a nice hopeful end. It's not the nature of it. But we have the hope of a brighter future because we know the king's coming back and things are going to be incredibly good then. You're just saying, hang in there. Stand on the rock in the shoes I gave you, wearing the breastplate, the helmet. I'm not doing the rest. You've got to come back for that. Or read the text in your own time. I've got to stick to my brief. Others, Others are coming to do the rest of it. He's given us the whole kit, though. We don't make it. We wear it. We simply put it on. And we keep wearing it. And as we do that, as we live in this incredible protection from head to toe that Jesus has made available to us by himself taking on these demonic powers, defeating them by taking them down to death through his own obedience and holiness, all the good things he did. He has overcome these demonic powers. We have nothing to fear from them. And we firstly stand in that good news. Enjoy that peace that passes all understanding. Don't let the world take the peace away. Jesus has gone to great lengths to get us a peace. Let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy it. But let's not just hold on to it selfishly. Let's go out and share that peace. As we live it in our homes and in our communities and seek to live it out in our workplaces. People are going to think, there's something different about you. You know, secularism rises. The difference between those who really believe and try to live these things out and those who don't, it's going to become clearer. I'm not looking forward to that. Frankly, it's going to be painful. It's going to become ever more like England. (laughs) I like it over here because it's much more Christian. Why are you going all secular on us? Don't do it. No good thing comes out of secularism. I'm going back to England, not because it's more Christian, but I feel we're called over there to get onto the mission of God in that land. But I want to say, as someone who's been in a much more secular country than this, please maintain your witness. Please go on raising your children and grandchildren in the Christian faith. There's nothing better out there. Secularism keeps promising something new and better. Well, when are they going to start delivering? It's high time they did. So we're called upon to live in this peace, to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ with his wonderfully well-prepared shoes and to advance with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take this good news into this community, 
into this world. As we do so, we're going to see ever more clearly that it's true. Jesus is the true ruler of the world. He has power over everybody else. And he loves the world with a passion. And he wants us and the world to know peace. As we live in it and as we communicate it, we are going to be a blessing to the world in which we live. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. I want to remind ourselves of one of those great lines from that Lord's Prayer that we used just now. Deliver us from evil. Jesus has the power to deliver us from evil. Lord God, we do thank you that you have given us these extraordinary clothes, this armour, which includes these special footwear. That means we can stand firm in you at peace, not afraid, not anxious. You deliver us from those things. You call us to throw our anxieties onto you because you care for us. You want us to be at peace. And you want us to take this gospel of peace into the world. Lord God, we pray you would indeed enable us to do that. Deliver us and our nation and our world from evil. Fill us with this glorious peace and happiness that you desire for us. Do your work in this great church, Lord. May it go from strength to strength. Have your hand of blessing upon it. And may your people stand faithful for you and take your gospel of peace into all the world. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.